Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Well, you may be seated. And I'm going to be seated also. We'll see how long I can actually stay seated. So one of the things we're doing, we're answering the questions. And so people have submitted in over the last month. And before we get to the questions, I want to first explain the way we're doing this is also very biblical. It's not just something we came up with, hey, it'll be cool if we do it. When you look at 1 Corinthians 7 and other letters that Paul wrote, there's the concept in the Jewish rabbis called the halakha. What they would do in the first century, it happened in the church as well in Jewish synagogues. The local synagogues or ecclesias or churches would write letters to their pastors or to their teachers and ask them, how do we practically live out this walk we're called to walk? And then they would write an answer. So when you read 1 Corinthians, the first six chapters, you see those aren't Paul answering questions. They ask questions, but chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now concerning the things you wrote me. Because Corinth, you were in such a mess that I need to take six chapters to get you straight before I can even answer what you want me to talk about. And so 1 Corinthians, one of the ways it came to being, yes, by the leading of the Holy Ghost, but because people at church had questions. And so when you guys submitted the questions of the last month, we've gone to the Word of God, and we believe we have the answers according to it. Now, one of the things I want you to know is always go to the Word for your answer. The first place you should always go is to the Word of God. Not calling somebody, not looking on Google. Go to the Word first. What does the Word of God say about this situation? The Word has to be your compass and the Holy Ghost has to be your GPS. And these days you can't always look to the left or to the right what's popular, what's current philosophy. What does the Word say? We are believers. We believe in the book. Amen? And also, there are some questions that were submitted that are very personal of nature. And some were regarding kids, some were about different things in your family or just you personally. And with those, they will be best answered in the a context of an appointment or a counseling session. So if you submitted one of those questions of very personal in nature, make sure you call the officer talk to Ms. Petra afterwards and we'll get you on the schedule because we want to answer those questions as well. Amen? We believe one of the better ways is to give you those full time to answer and walk through those situations with you. So the first question we received... It says, if we overcome by the power of our testimony, why do believers attempt to edit their testimony or other people's testimony? So go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As we turn there, I'll read the scripture they're referencing. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives to the death. So why do believers attempt to edit their testimony or other people's testimony? So look at Matthew chapter 7. Let's see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and Ren, you. One of the things you must consider when sharing your testimony because it's holy and it's anointed is what is appropriate for the audience you're sharing to. You don't want to just tell your testimony. You want to be intentional in telling it, not just throwing it out there and see what happens. No, be intentional and be led by the Spirit of God because not everybody is prepared to receive your testimony. 
They can't take it from you. They may disregard it or whatever, but not everybody's prepared to receive it. And parts of your testimony are not for everybody. Now, we have all have testimonies that God has done in our lives, but how many know that some of those testimonies aren't appropriate for kids' world? How many know there's a lot of stories we teach in kids' world, but there's some that will like, well, wait till you get in youth ministry. You know, Dave and Bathsheba, that's some of the stuff we don't always cover in detail in kids' world. Hallelujah. Be intentional in your testimony. And also, like John 12, 49, follow Jesus' example and say what you hear God say. When the leading stops, you stop. A lot of times we get really excited to be used by God. We know God is using us, and we're just so excited that we keep going. And the Holy Ghost stopped five minutes ago. Be intentional and be led. And when the leading stops, you stop. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it, but be intentional in sharing your testimony. Next one. Please explain admonishment, rebuke, and contrast to condemnation. So go to Romans chapter 15. Please explain admonishment, rebuke, and contrast to condemnation. You guys submitted some good questions. I'm just glad the word always has an answer. Romans 15, verse 13. Notice what the Holy Ghost says through Paul. Romans chapter 15, look at verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. The word admonish means to caution or reprove gently. It means to warn or to put into the same mind. It also means to advise. Simply, if you're admonishing someone, you're saying, hey, don't do this. Because if you love somebody, you're going to tell somebody what not to do, right? For those of you who have toddlers and kids who are trying to explore, you're going to let them know, stove, hot, don't touch. At least you should. You know, I had someone in my family, I won't say which one, but they were always an adventurous child. And they were always intrigued by fire and intrigued by Forks that should not go into electrical sockets. They are the reasons why electrical plugs were made. And so there are things you have to explain to that one. No, you do not want to do it. Yes, there may be a cool effect, but you do not want to be the recipient of that effect. So admonish is simply to say, hey, don't do this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 15 says to admonish as a brother. Admonish as you would a sibling. So it's always from a place of love. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and we'll look at rebuke. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Notice by the Holy Ghost what Paul is charging Timothy to do. Chapter four, verse two. Preach the word. Be instant or be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The word rebuke means to check to point out fault for the purpose of correction. It's different than admonish. If you're rebuking someone, you're saying, stop doing this. So you're not warning them not to, they've already started, and they're saying, hey, stop this. 
Now, the thing is, just because you're doing something doesn't mean you always see the results of it. There are times you will do something, but you may not find out the results of it long down the road. You know, as the Bible says, your sin will find you out. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. So just because you haven't ran into the harvest or the judgment of what you're doing right now in your lifestyle does not mean God doesn't mind. It just means he's merciful, he's patient, he's long-suffering. But don't wait for it to catch up with you. Stop now. So Paul told Timothy, continue to rebuke people with the doctrine, the word of God, and with patience. Now go to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. So we looked at, hey, don't do this, and we looked at, stop doing this. Now look at condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Condemnation is the state of being guilty, of being sentenced to punishment or doomed. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ walking after the spirit. So the thing is, the difference of condemnation is you are in guilt, you know punishment is coming, you feel doomed. That is not for you, believer. That's for the world, but that's not for you. So one of the things God does so you don't end up in condemnation or in trouble is he rebukes you. He admonishes you because he loves you. So this leads into the next question. Is it ever okay for Christians to convict other people? Isn't that the Holy Spirit's job? Why do people try to convict others and make them feel guilty? No repentance, only strife, in my opinion. Go to John chapter 16. This question, the next question, and the question after that all run together. John 16, verse 8. Let's look at another word. And Jesus speaking about the ministry of the Holy Ghost. This is before he was given. How many of the Holy Spirit has been given? And I'm so grateful for the Holy Ghost. John 16, verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit will convict or reprove people of sin because they don't believe on Jesus. If they don't believe on Jesus, of course they're going to sin. We shouldn't be shocked by sinners sinning. That's what they do. And then he said, of righteousness, because they don't see me anymore. How many know Jesus was the perfect example of righteousness and of how to live and of standing with God? They don't see Jesus with the Holy Spirit. I will direct you concerning how to live righteously. But then also of judgment, because the prince of the world is judged. The Holy Spirit will remind you about judgment, about harvest, about what's going on in the world. Reprove means admonish, convict, or convince. Now, the Holy Spirit, as you study the New Testament, will do the work of conviction in the hearts of people, but it also speak through ministry gifts as he directs them. So you see different people in the Bible convicting people as they're led by the Holy Ghost. Now, when it talks about on a personal level, should people convict other people? Matthew 18, 15 speaks of addressing those who trespass against you personally. 
So if they have personally done something to you, the Bible says you should bring it before them one-on-one. And if they don't listen, bring another as a witness. If they don't listen, bring them before the church or the ministers or the eldership. So that's talking about personally. The purpose of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to draw you to repentance, not leave you in guilt. Once conviction touches the heart of a person, they have a choice. Repent or harden their heart. Remember, it is not your job to convict the whole world. That is not your calling. That is not your job. It reminds me of an old Polish proverb. Not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> so a lot of times people get into everybody else's business. You are not called to get into everybody's business. And as quietly as it kept, you do not have a right to speak into their life. Just because you see something going on, unless the Holy Ghost has told you to say it, don't get involved. Don't cause mess. Some of us need to say this all week, not my circus and not my monkeys. You know, that'll keep your stress level down. Just because someone else is crazy doesn't mean you have to get in there crazy. Follow the Holy Ghost. Say it together. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Next question. Why do Christians judge when the Bible says to be our brother's keeper and judge not lest you be judged? So go to Matthew 7 again. And that phrase, judge not lest you be judged, is like the favorite verse of the world. They all know that scripture. They may know nothing else in the Bible, but didn't Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged? <laughs> you know, some people know just enough Bible to be dangerous to themselves. But let's address this concept and the thought presses behind it. Why did Jesus say this phrase? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, context is king. You always have to know in what context is the word given. Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote or the toothpick that is in your brother's eye, but considerest not the beam or the telephone pole that is in your own eye? Or how will thou say to your brother, let me pull out the toothpick out of your eye, and behold, there is a telephone in your own eye. You hypocrite, you actor, you fake person. First cast out the telephone pole out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly cast out the toothpick out of your brother's eye. Now, in context, what is Jesus talking about? Unrighteous judgment. You get involved in people's business, and you're looking at the smallest thing when your life is jacked up. So Jesus, do not unrighteously judge people. Because if you do that, that is what's coming back to you. How you judge, you will be judged. How you show mercy is how you'll receive mercy. So if you're trying to find the smallest thing in people's life, ooh, I have the gift of discernment. No, you don't. You're just suspicious. There is no gift of discernment. 1 Corinthians 12 says the gift of discerning of spirits, not discernment. Because the thing is, if you really have the gift of discernment, turn it on yourself for five minutes. You will never want that gift again. <laughs> so do not unrighteously judge is what Jesus is talking about in context. But you should be able to judge. You should be able to discern what is right from wrong. Look at verse 16. Because Jesus tells you how to righteously judge. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. So pay attention to somebody's life. 
What is their life producing? In order to do that, that takes time. How many know this? Not every season is a fruit-bearing season. That's why you shouldn't rush off to marry somebody. You should see them in all seasons. You should be able to know their fruits. But if you're only paying attention to what you can see and what you're feeling at the moment, you'll miss out on a whole bunch. And then you end up in my, in my office. Ooh, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy at the very beginning, but you didn't take time to see everything. Take your time. Now, they also use the phrase, does not our Bible say to be our brother's keeper? Actually, it doesn't. That phrase, brother's keeper, is a phrase of Cain after he killed Abel. So after he killed his brother, God says, hey, Cain, what did you do? Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? But the concept of mine, how should we care for our brothers or sisters, is but if you are a close friend or someone I have a relationship with, or I have the right to speak into your life. If I have a close relationship with you, I have a right to speak into your life. If I'm your pastor, I have a right to speak into your life. I don't have the right to speak to everybody's life. I can go to some random church and say, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. I don't have that right. And even if I'm a guest speaker at another church, I'm not going to correct the church unless the pastor told me to. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. <laughs> Only speak into the lives you have permission to or you're led by the Holy Ghost to. If I have a relationship with somebody, they have a right to speak into my life. I have a right to speak into theirs. Only don't violate that law because the thing is a lot of people, you know, they get upset with younger people. Says, oh, they just need to know what to do. But the thing is, if you don't have a relationship with them and you just run up to them, pull up your pants, they ain't going to listen to you. But if you have a right to speak into their life, they will value what you say. That's why a lot of times we need to work on building relationships with people, not just trying to correct everything they do wrong. Because the thing is, someone just ran at you, told about all the things you're doing wrong, you ain't going to want to hear them, especially if they said it in a mean, stank way. We believe in holiness. We believe in living right. But holy does not be mean, mean. The reason we preach holiness is because God gave that standard because he loves you and he knows anything outside of the highway of holiness will be to the highway of hell and will be to your destruction. So we must make sure we speak the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 tells us. And we always remember the word is the standard of judgment. That's what Jesus said in John 12, 48. He said, at the end of all things, everyone will be judged by the word of God. So if I speak into your life to either admonish or rebuke, it's because I love you like Jesus did in Revelation 3.19. He says, I only rebuke those I love. So I will warn or admonish you, and I will check you because I care for you and have the right to speak into your life. So you should be able to righteously judge and be able to tell right from wrong. But remember, it still doesn't mean you go and correct everyone you see. Remember to be led by the Spirit of God in all you do. Next, is there a proper way to repent to God? Because if you get admonished or rebuked and the Holy Ghost is dealing with you, well, you should repent. So go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. First John chapter one, verse nine. And this letter is written to believers, not to the world, not to sinners, it's written to the church. First John chapter one, verse nine. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do you do if you make a mistake and you realize you need to repent or turn? First confess to God, this is what I did. I missed it. Now, this is not you're informing God. God knew you missed it. But as you taking ownership, I blew it, I missed it. Then you ask for forgiveness. Father, I ask that you forgive me of whatever I just did. And then you believe you are forgiven. That's the next step. You have to believe you are forgiven. You have to believe you are cleansed. You have to receive your forgiveness. Not going, well, I messed up. Yeah, God forgave me, but I need to feel bad for the next three weeks. No, the Bible doesn't even say that. Don't put yourself through a guilt trip because you think that's going to draw you closer to God. It's actually going to push you farther away. Because the thing is, sin destroys your confidence. It makes people think, oh, I can't go to God. No, when you mess up, run to him immediately. Don't wait till the next day. Don't wait till you get to church. You mess up, you run to him that moment. God, I messed up. Please forgive me. I receive my forgiveness and my cleansing. The last part, what does the word repent mean? It means to change your mind and go the other direction. So whatever direction you were going in to mess up, go the other way. Because remember, God will forgive you. He will clean you up and treat you like it never happened. So if God forgives you, remember he also forgets it. So you need to forget it. And you need to let it go. Don't hold yourself guilty for what you did 30 years ago. Say, well, I messed up then. Well, yes, we know you messed up then. Just let it go. Go forward. You don't have to pay for your mistakes. What about your past or your sin have you had to pay for? You don't have to pay to go to hell. Jesus paid the price. Even if you jacked up your life because of what you did, Jesus can fix it. Jesus can restore it. He can restore your family. He can restore your money. He can restore your health. Even if you smoked a whole bunch of stuff and he filled your lungs with toxin and now you need, you have lung cancer, Jesus can heal you and give you new lungs. You're not supposed to fix your life by yourself. It's by the power of the blood of Jesus. He can fix you. He can restore you and he can make you whole. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. Let the Holy Ghost help you. You do not have a right to feel guilty once you're born again. Once you repent and turn, you're not supposed to hold on to guilt. Cast that away. Don't hold on to it and don't let the enemy bring it up to you because the enemy will remind you. Or there'll be people who remind you. Now, you're not supposed to be around those people who remind you. Now, I'm not saying if you're married to one doesn't mean, oh, pastor says I can leave. I did not say that. It is on tape. I did not say that. But if the enemy reminds you about your past, just remind him about his future. Don't listen to the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. Don't listen to him. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees you as pure and as holy as he sees his son. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is your standing with God. You have a right at any time of day to go in to talk to God. And you've been justified. That means he sees you as just, he sees you as righteous, he sees you as holy. You're his. So see yourself the way God sees you. Amen? Next, different direction of topic. Can someone who received the Holy Spirit then become demon-possessed? Light and dark doesn't dwell in the same place, Bible. That's what I wrote. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. And as you turn there, 
Remember the word possessed means to be completely controlled. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul's still addressing all the stuff that was going on in Corinth. Now, if I ever do a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, I would call it Church Gone Wild. Because Cor- Corinth of the day was like the Las Vegas of its day. But it was Las Vegas 3.0. The phrase in the day, if you really had a wild night, if you really turned up, it says you acted like a Corinthian. That's what they would say back in the day. So now that city was so wild, that wildness began to get into the church. And the church began to become more wild than the sinners. Paul said, you sin worse than the sinners. Something's got to change. And so while he's still addressing this, He's talking about what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, who you have of God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's what we call our youth ministry 620. That's one of the focuses we teach them. Glorify God and all you do in your body, in your spirit, in your soul, in your grades, in your purity. You want to give God glory and fame. So one of the things you need to remember is that you are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a physical body. Possession means a demon spirit has inhabited your spirit. But if you are a born-again believer, you cannot be possessed. Because once you become born again, the Holy Spirit moves on the inside of your spirit. And the Holy Ghost is not going to allow any new roommates. So if you're a born-again believer, you cannot be possessed. But now there's a difference from possession to obsession and oppression. When you talk about obsession and oppression, it deals with the soul, particularly the mind. They are forms of mental affliction. So there are different demon spirits. Although they can't get into your spirit, they may try to afflict your mind. Whether it's obsession, oppression, depression, some of those sources are demon spirits. Not everything is a demon. When, especially in Pentecostal charismatic circles, you got to walk down the line. Because some people think everything's a devil. And then some people, oh, there's no such thing as a devil. No, walk in the middle. Not everything's a demon. Some things are, but not everything is. The Holy Ghost will lead you. So now, a believer, born-again believer, although they cannot be possessed, they can be obsessed and oppressed by a demon spirit. They can be afflicted in their mind. The Bible also talks about spirits of infirmity. What is that? It's when spirits afflict your body. So the thing is, although they're not in your spirit, they can latch onto a liver. They can latch onto a piece of your body and cause pain and cause sickness that the doctors can't find a cure from. this. And we don't know what's going on, but your liver is not working. We can't find a cure. There's no medicine that works. It may not be a physical situation. It may be a spiritual situation. That doesn't mean that the person is possessed. Now, you may hear me going through healing lines. I may, as led by the Holy Ghost, say, let them go or leave them. They're not possessed. They just may have something that's grabbing on to a physical part of them or to their mind. But to settle it, a believer cannot be possessed. Amen? If you want more read on that topic, I advise you to read The Triumphant Church by Kenneth E. Hagan. I believe we have some copies in our bookstore. If not, you can go into their rhema.org or get it from Amazon or somewhere. It covers that topic more in depth if you want to study more about it. Also, if you're a believer, even though you're saved, you can yield to the devil's work. He can influence you, send you a thought, and you do it. But it doesn't mean you're possessed. You just made a mistake that you need to repent from. And on the subject that your body is a temple, don't pollute your temple. 
Someone wrote in about this says, you know, can you mention about nicotine being bad? Yes. Don't fill your lungs with smoke. It's like, well, I do it because I need to really stress. No, no, no. Don't choose stuff for a chief substitute of the Holy Ghost and the Word. Don't put drugs in your body. We covered weed earlier this month. We covered meth earlier this month. Don't do that. We also covered drinking earlier in this month. I always get quiet when I say drinking. <laughs> Remember, we talked about Proverbs 31. That alcohol is not meant for royalty. And the Bible says you're kings and priests. It says to give it to the one who is ready to die and the one who's broke. So the one, if you drink, you're saying, I'm ready to die. I'll never have any money for the rest of my life and I'm not royalty. So think about that every time you think about taking a sip. Every sip. Yep, I'm ready to die, Jesus. Next question. I'll let that just settle. Is it biblical to ask God for direction about your career path? Yes, please do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So ask him even about your career, not just spiritual things. Some people say, like, oh, I only can ask God about spiritual things. Ask God about everything. Just because a job will take you to another city and give you a promotion doesn't mean that's where you're supposed to go. You want to follow the Holy Ghost. Where does he want you to be? And if the Holy Ghost is leading you to another place for a job, there's a church you're supposed to be in. So you're just like, well, where am I supposed to be? Find the church you're supposed to be in. Let the Holy Ghost lead you. He's not going to send you someplace where you have no spiritual nourishment. And so then you break down, your family breaks down just because you got an extra $20,000 in the bank. Follow the Holy Ghost in all you do. Next. What does it mean for the wife to submit totally to her husband if he is not attending church? What should you do? Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. What I like these questions. 1 Peter chapter 3. Is this blessing anybody so far? 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 1. He's on the topic of submission in different forms to either leadership. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, or in the same way, ye wives be subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word. Notice this phrase, that if they don't obey the word, Without the word, they may be one. Wait a minute, we're supposed to preach the word, right? But he's talking about a specific situation. That if you wives are married to somebody who's not a believer, now before we even go forward, you're not supposed to be dating unbelievers. This is not missionary dating. <laughs> Don't try to do that. You only want to date somebody who's saved and believes like you believe, not someone who just got saved yesterday. Just because you've been waiting a long time, you see someone answer the altar call, that doesn't mean jump on them. Let them grow. People are at every different stage in their development with Jesus. Remember, someone called a church a hospital. Everybody's getting better. Remember, most hospitals have a mental wing. So just because you see them at church all the time does not make them a qualified candidate for you. Take your time. You will know them by their fruits. Crazy can hide for a little while. Crazy knows how to cover up. Take your time and watch it all season. How do they act when they get mad? 
And there's some questions you got to answer in these days. Ladies, if you're trying to date a guy, have you always been a man? <laughs> Fellas, have you always been a woman? There are questions you need to ask. Because there's a lot of deception out there. <laughs> the first lady showed me this picture this weekend. And it shows guys getting weave to have hair like me. So they like they glue it on because the hair is not real. So you need to see people in every season so you're not shocked once you get married. You remember that uh, Fresh Prince episode when, you know, they were caught, caught in the earthquake and the nails came off, the weave came off, and he was wondering what was going to happen next? But the thing is, if you're only looking at what you see and you're so caught up in the moment and you rush, you don't know. Now, looks are important, but there has to be something beyond the looks. How many know looks change? How many know you change? Take your time. Anywho. Oh, yeah, First Peter 3. That they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or the lifestyle and behavior of their wives. While they behold your pure lifestyle or behavior, your clean lifestyle or behavior, coupled with reverence, the word fear means, whose adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning or plating of the hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of peril. But let it be with the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, a lot of people want to use this saying, well, the Bible says women can't wear gold, they can't have nice hair, they can't have stuff in their hair. That's not what it's saying that. It's saying don't let your life be summed up by that. Because if you take that scripture literally, that means everybody's supposed to walk, out, walk around naked, and that's not what the Bible's saying. It's saying let what is most prized not be what you have on the outside, let it be on the inside. And it says having a meek and quiet spirit. What is meek or meekness? It is the attitude or demeanor of one who is forbearing, patient, slow to anger. It's one who controls themselves in the face of insults and injuries. It's someone who can calm the fierce passion or wild passion on the inside of them. Someone who can control their emotions. So what is Peter saying? He's saying, you live right before them. You live clean and pure before them. You control your emotions around them. And they'll look at your life and they'll be one because you are living the word. So to break it down, just three things. Number one, keep attending church. Keep getting fed by the word. Number two, pray for him. Y'all saw the movie War Room? Pray for your spouse. Number three, love and care for him. Now, just think about it very naturally, ladies. It's not deep. It's not super spiritual. You know what your husband wants. Why are you always so quiet when I talk about marriage stuff? <laughs> so the thing is, if you go into church and you come home and he make the best meal of his life, because most likely if he's not at church, he's probably watching a football game. Most likely, 99% of the time, unless he's at work. You come make him the best meal of his life, and you take care of him another way. Amen. How many of you know he's going to want to go to church? So wait a minute, you come home and do all this good stuff for me? What are they preaching at that Faith Christian Center? You can win him. But that doesn't mean you be his spiritual police person. 
It's not your job to hold everything over his head. You're not, you can't fix a man. You cannot change him. If you don't know that yet, in a few years, you will realize that you can't change him. But if you pray and walk in love and do what the Bible says, God will get on him. God knows how to deal with him. And God will show you what to do. So you can win him. And this connects to another question someone said. Should I tithe on an unsaved spouse's salary? Only if they're in agreement with it. If they're in agreement with it, then some unbelievers are. Yeah, give to the church. If they're in agreement with it, then yes. If not, mm -mm, don't do that. Don't open up a different realm of drama that you don't even want to get into. If they're okay with it, then fine. And you just trust God. Because the thing is, well, the, there's a curse off. No, no, no. Paul said the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the spouse. So the thing is, you're doing it right and you tithe and they're still acting a hot mess. God will take care of your house for your sake. So don't worry about that. You just do what you're supposed to do and you believe God. Amen? Next. We know that Jesus, okay, these two questions are going to go together. One of these is from one of our 15-year-olds, and another is just from someone else. It says, we know that Jesus is the Son of God, but who is the Father of God himself? It's a question from a 15-year-old boy. He says, the Bible never mentions Trinity. Can you clarify so I can be certain on the subject? Try and for example, is Jesus God? Is the Holy Spirit God? What is the exact connection? And where does the Scripture point this out? Let's start with Psalm 90, verse 2. It says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation 10.6 says of him that he is the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein. Genesis 21.33 calls God the eternal or everlasting God. To put it simply, God always existed. He is who was, who is, and who is to come. He has no beginning and no ending. He is eternal, eternity past and future. He always was and always will be. Now on that same subject, Jesus is not a created being. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed. There's no beginning to them and there's no end to them. How do we know that? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on and says when God's doing the recreation process, he says, let us make man. Let us. When you look at the word for God, there's Elohim, which also be translated plural. Who is he talking about? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Only in the New Testament was God the Son known as Jesus. Before he had other names in the Old Testament, you see he's the captain of the Lord's host. You see him show up in the de- uh, in the, for the situation with the three Hebrew boys. Jesus was very active in the Old Testament. He just went by different titles. They didn't know him as the Son yet. But that's how he was revealed in the New Testament to us. He was also very involved with creation. We know that because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the other names for Jesus in the Bible is the Word of God. Now, we know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is clearly taught. God is one God, but three persons, the person of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. How do we know they're all God? Hebrews 1, 8, Jesus the Son is called God. Acts 5, 4, the Holy Spirit is called God. They're all God. They're all equal God. They're all, it's not saying, well, one's more God than the other. No, they're all equal. They're all God. They have a certain way in which they work. 
The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points to the Son, and the Son points to the Father. And one more verse on this point. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. All right, next question. 1 Corinthians lists speaking in tongues as a spiritual gift. Why do we believe it is for everyone? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Let's look at the scripture they are referring to. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. It says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, interpretation of tongues. Now, one of the things we look at here, diverse kinds of tongues. Diverse kinds of tongues is different than your prayer language. It's not the same thing. One of the things you want to do as you read the Bible is make sure you rightfully divide the word of truth. There are different manifestations of tongues. Some people call the baptism of the Holy Ghost the gift of tongues, but that's not always scripturally accurate. When we're looking here, we're talking about diverse kinds of tongues as we saw today at the beginning, at the end of worship. Someone gave a message of tongues. That was the gift of diverse kinds of tongues in, in, in operation. And then I interpreted. That was the gift of the interpretation of tongues in operation. Now, diverse kinds of tongues operates in many different ways, many different manifestations. You see in Acts chapter 2 is where people hear you in their own language. That's one of the manifestations of the gift. Also, as we just read, it's where the gift of interpretation of tongues is needed. But also go to verse 28 of the same chapter. And we'll see another operation of it. It says, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. Now, people use a see, speaking in tongues is not for everybody. But that's not what he's talking about. Look at what he's talking about. Apostles, prophets, teachers. What he's listing? The offices that God has given. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4. There are five offices. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And as he goes on these different gifts, you see things that sum up the gift of the pastor and the gift of the evangelist, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, falls under the office of the pastor, governments, diversity of tongues. That's also in the office of the pastor. So there is a spiritual office, spiritual supernatural equipment that's given to men and women of God who are called to stand behind pulpits to minister of diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. That usually falls in the office of the pastor and the office of the prophet. And so those here, it's not talking about your personal language. So do every ministry gift have an operation of tongues, interpretation of tongues? No, not everyone does. Certain offices have that certain spiritual equipment, but it's not talking about your personal prayer language. Let's look at your personal prayer language in chapter 14. All the above manifestations we listed of diverse kinds of tongues are for outward ministry to others. This is when you're ministering to others. Your personal prayer language is ministry to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God. So you're not talking to others, you're talking to God. 
For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries, divine secrets, God's plans and purposes. He that prophesies his outward ministry speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies, builds up, charges himself. But he that prophesies edifies, builds up, and charges the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. In the context, Paul's talking about your personal prayer language ministry to yourself. The reason why we say it's available to everybody is because the Holy Ghost said through Paul, I want everybody to speak in tongues. So it is available to everybody. Now, the ministry gift portion or the gifts of the spirit portion is not for everybody. God gives everybody the gift as he sees fit. But the prayer language is available to every single believer. Yes, you can be a good Christian and not speak in tongues. But why try to live this life without receiving everything God has for you? It is a great help to you. It's a personal blessing to you. It will charge you up on the inside. It's something that you need. Now, how many know there may be things that you need or desire that you can even live without and still live your life? But, you know, if you had that need met, it would make things a lot easier in your life. It's the same way with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking other tongues. Every time through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, you see people filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in the Holy Ghost, the sign that always follows is they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Next. Also, before we go there, the rules of chapter 14 later in this chapter, it governs the public use of tongues for public ministry, not public prayer or public worship. Because some people say, well, if it's just private, that means I can't, you know, when we're at church, we can't pray in tongues together, we can't worship in tongues together. No. That's different. It's talking about outward ministry. We can still take times of prayer. We all pray in the Holy Ghost together. We should. We can also sing in tongues. Paul says, I pray in my understanding. I also pray in the tongues. I sing in my understanding. I also sing in tongues. So there are times where we'll just worship in tongues together because that's right and we should do that. That is not public ministry to others. That's public ministry to our Father who's in heaven. Amen? Next, number 11. Is it proper for church musicians and singers to do projects in the secular and still serve? First, define secular projects. And then also, what about lawyers, teachers, businessmen, etc.? Are you saying that businessmen, lawyers, and teachers can only teach Christians? Can only interact with Christians? I thought we were called to be light. Luke eleven thirty three. No man, when he has lighted a candle, puts it in a secret place, neither under a bushel but under a candlestick, that they which may come in may see the light Go and be light. So as it applies to music, whether you're singing, whether you play an instrument, whether you're a business person, a lawyer, or a teacher, be led by the Holy Ghost. Go where he tells you to go. Say what he tells you to say. Do what he tells you to do. And then follow wisdom. The Holy Ghost will lead you where he's supposed to be, who you're supposed to associate with, who you're supposed to make deals with. He will show you what to do. And then the wisdom guy will just let you know you ain't supposed to be there. Don't put yourself in a place you're not supposed to be. And if God sends you to a dark place, he sent you and he will keep you and it won't be for your destruction. But sometimes we just go places because we want to go. So it always goes back. Let the word of God, the wisdom of God be your compass and let the Holy Ghost be your GPS. Next, as the world continues to change and things become more acceptable, how do we handle issues such as homosexuality? Do we continue to provide services to them do we continue doing business with them? If so, is this a sign of supporting the same-sex lifestyle? Going back to doing business, define doing business. Simply, you know, I can clean your house, I can feed you, I can sell you clothes and et cetera, and that is not an endorsement of your lifestyle or any lifestyle for that matter. 
And the same way, they can do similar work for you and it's not an endorsement of their lifestyle. That has nothing to do with. This is just something that you see because it's more apparent, it's in the news, and it leads a different lifestyle changes that's effective and you can see on the outside. That's a whole bunch of people that you may have dealings with that you don't know they're living right. And just because you interact with them, do business with them, you're not endorsing their lifestyle. They're people. People are people no matter what they do. But continuing, when it comes to ceremonies, follow Matthew 10, 16. Be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. One of the things I would encourage you to do if you have a business that is connected to civil ceremonies or wedding ceremonies, know the law and protect yourself. Because of the Supreme Court ruling, there's things that I had to do inside the church to make sure we are protected. So you know the law and you protect yourself and study to show yourself approved and follow the Holy Ghost, follow wisdom. But everything outside of the ceremonies or whatever, that has nothing to do with endorsing somebody's lifestyle or not. Walk in love at all times. And I think it's, well, we shouldn't just be around sinners or darkness. Wait a minute. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Paul said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. You can't completely separate yourself from people who sin. If you could do that, that means you have to go to heaven. So you will have, always have interactions with people who don't live for God. Be light, walk in love, walk in truth, don't compromise. And as I always say, follow the Holy Ghost, follow the word. Last question. How do we biblically address the whole Black Lives Matter movement? Is God calling us as Christians to be involved and in what capacity? Black Lives Matter has become an umbrella of movement, so to speak. So within it houses some good things and houses some things not so good. But with all social justice causes, whether it's this one concerning the refugees or anything that gets the nation's attention, be led by the Spirit of God. Don't get, get caught up in what's popular or what's emotional or what sweeps the nation. See, the difference from being temporary radicals to long-lasting revolutionaries is if you follow the Holy Ghost. Because the thing is, people are emotional for a moment, and then they forget. People like to be entertained, they like the newest thing, and then they forget, and they wait for the next thing. You know, it's great people are hashtag activists, but it's time to do more. You got to do what God has called you to do. When you study out history and you think about different social justice movements, either in this nation or in Britain, they came out of a move of the Holy Ghost. The abolitionist movement came out of a move of the Holy Ghost called the Second Great Awakening. What happened in Britain, the reason why Britain didn't have a civil war, it had different things that were happening in its nation, but then God raised up these people named William and Catherine Booth, who founded the Salvation Army. And they began to do what the government could not do. They began to feed tons of people. And you think, oh, they must have had these quiet meetings and they were just dignified. I'd be reading accounts of them. And they would have like five, six services a day. They would set up tents, go to different buildings. And there was a reporter who came to see, well, what is this thing going on in this Salvation Army? And they would watch and they would say it was so wild. They said people would start shouting. People would be waving these hankies. People falling down and shaking. And the reporter ran to the front, told he called him General Booth. Hey, why don't you stop all this? He says, go sit down. Let the Lord do his work. And so the reporter just couldn't take it anymore. So he walked out the building and he saw a police officer outside. He said, this happened every night? He says, yep, every single night. 
Because one of the things is the people inside there who are getting ministered to, they're some of the roughest people, some of the members of the worst gangs. And now my job is a lot easier because they're in there getting touched by God. So follow the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost knows what he's doing. God knows how to bring justice. He knows how to bring judgment. He knows how to put you in your place for you to do what you're supposed to do. As we taught in June, because we dealt with this briefly in June, when you see something that's going on in the world, especially your nation, your area, and it just grieves you at your heart, don't respond out of emotion. Look to the Father. Father, you live on the inside of me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. What would you have me to do about this, sir? And then you get your answer, and then you do it. It may be something small, maybe something big. There's some things I'm doing to address things that have been going on in this nation, and I'm already doing it. God's already opened a huge door in these areas, and we're working. Some things we publicize, some things we don't. You just follow the Holy Ghost and do what he tells you to do. Don't get swept up in emotional what's popular. Find out from God, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Amen? First lady, you want to add some stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor, you said a lot of wonderful, great things, so I'm just going to say something really quickly. Um, one, well, you said this often, but one really important thing to remember, as Pastor has said over and over throughout this message, is just to be led by the Holy Spirit. It is so important for us to do like Jesus did, um, we see in the scriptures in John 5, 19, and then in John 12, 49, that he only did what he saw his father do, and he only said what he heard his father say. And if we endeavor to live our lives like that in regards to everything, we'll find ourselves being a blessing to others everywhere that we go, and then being able to love others the way that we love ourselves, which is what the Lord has commanded of us all. I know I personally um, find myself doing this, and it might look a little strange at times, and I know that people, sometimes they think I'm shy as a result of this, or sometimes they think that I'm hesitating and holding back, um, I guess, uh, what they think that I'm about to say. But many times, just in everyday conversation, depending on what the subject matter is, I find that I take my time, I am listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm always pausing to see what it is that He wants me to say. See if He wants me to say anything further or not. Sometimes it may even seem like I'm cutting off abruptly, but it's just because I don't hear Him say anything else. You just wanna be so cautious. Jesus loves you and he loves others so much. And the Holy Spirit is our guide and he will direct us in all of our ways, everything. When it comes to being able to speak into the lives of others, he'll put people in your path, um, on your job, people that'll be attracted to you, like we have nothing in common, I have no idea how this door opened, but you just be led by the Holy Spirit. Timing matters. God is perfect in all his ways. He has perfect timing. So if you endeavor to lead your everyday life that way, not only will the Lord mature you in all of these things, but you'll find that you'll be in tremendous blessing absolutely everywhere that you are because God blesses <laughs> and he guides and he delivers and he's we're his children and we know his voice. And you just have to practice doing that. Don't just 
just practice it. You know, pause, don't just say whatever comes to your mind of what you think or what you think may be right. It may be right or you may be wrong. Either way, you be led by the Lord. Allow him to be the Lord of your life and allow him to lead you. And then in regards to, you know, the Lord gave us, he says, obviously the word says a lot, but we know that we're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind first, and then love others the way that, love others um, as we love ourselves, like love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in regards to what we put in our temple, that ties back into us loving God. God knows everything about you. He knows how it all works. One thing that I found very intriguing now that me and Pastor Kirk last week announced that we are a little over three months pregnant, and I was talking to Miss Petra, and there's certain things, thank you, there's certain things that the doctor told us that we should not eat, or that I should not eat. And I was telling Miss Petra, <laughs> I was telling Miss Petra, and Miss Petra was like, so, because these things will um, harm, they're harmful for your child and can potentially cause miscarriage. So Miss Petra was like, so we eat those things on the daily. <laughs> and, you know, like, but the Lord knows what is best for you. And because he loves you, he'll lead you and he'll guide you in regards to that, and that includes smoking, that includes alcohol, because he wants you to be prosperous in all your ways, in absolutely every area of your life, including your health. He doesn't want you to have to, you know, get, he'll heal you, but he wants you to walk in divine health. And so because he loves you, not because he wants you to live a dull life, because he loves you, he'll tell you, he'll prompt you, you know, on what to do. And then also in the word, he tells us, you know, certain things to, to eat, not to eat, what to put into your body, what not to put into your body. And it's because he just knows how everything works. And now that I'm pregnant, I'm just like, it's very detailed and it's all so <laughs> vast, at least to me because um, it matters, it all matters. It matters to the health of our child, to the health of our baby. Um, it matters that obviously I'm healthy in order to be able to um, allow for everything to go the way that it should throughout this pregnancy. And things such as smoking, drinking, eating certain foods, that will all, they play important roles. And obviously, every single thing, especially in our culture, every single thing that we put into our mouths is not going to be <laughs> the healthiest thing. But you don't want to get into habits of um, making those things. You don't want the, those, those types of foods to be what you're putting into your body the most often, the most often. So God is telling you all these things because he loves you and because he knows what's best for you. And because we love him, we trust him, and we are obedient to his word. And that includes how we, um, 
how we handle our, our yes, how we treat our temples. And of course, the Lord has such great plans for us all, and he definitely wants there to be 120-year anointings on the earth, but you have, to, you have to live that long. Amen. And you can't smoke every day and expect to live that long. We all know that there are very, I mean, it's hazardous. We all know that according to, to medical science, it's very hazardous. You can't eat pork chops and fried chicken every day and then expect to be 120 years old and able, you know, it's just, so the Lord will lead you and guide you in all of your ways. And you have to trust that he loves you and beca it's because he loves you that he's instructing you to go these directions in regards to dating um, and being unequally yoked. It's because he loves you and because he knows all things and because he knows what's best for you that he just instructs you just not to do it. Just don't, don't even consider it. It's not an option. It's not because he doesn't want it. It's actually because he wants your heart's desires to be fulfilled that he's telling you to do these things. We just have to trust that his ways are higher than our ways. And he's got our best interests in mind. And of course, it never is just about us. It is about you, but it's always... So much more than that, it's about generations beyond you and others as well. So he tells us these things, he gives us these instructions on how we're supposed to do life every day so that not only we are blessed, but so that all those around us and our families going forward are also experiencing the blessing. And then if you could just share one thing um, in regards to, you know what, I forgot. I forgot. So I guess the Lord doesn't want it. It just like, it was in my mind. And just. <laughs> but yes, this is such a great message. I recommend everyone getting this series because it's so important. But one of the things, again, that Pastor Carrick said, and it's so important, is just for you to learn to get in the habit, not just when there is a crisis. crisis. <laughs> exactly. But every day in regard, like I know with me, it's for everything because sometimes I just don't know. And it's not that deep, it's not life or death, but I just don't know which, which way to go, which choice is right, which dress to wear, just anything. And I'm just like, Lord, <laughs> just get in the habit of acknowledging him because he is there always with you. And um, so those are really great, just, answers to questions that prayerfully you guys start implementing on your, in your day-to-day. -day. Amen. Amen. Well, did this bless anybody? All right, stand to your feet. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. 
We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Also, if you want to support the ministry financially, you can go to FCCGA.com and follow the directions there. Have an amazing day.